Welcome to episode 142 of This Week in Linux, your weekly source for Linux good news. From the Destination Linux Network, I'm Michael Tunnell. And if you're new to the show, this is the podcast that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take as a 20-year-plus Linux user. Coming up on this week's episode, we've got some core news to discuss with the latest Mesa graphics driver update. We've also got a lot of distro news related to SUSE, Makula Linux, Sparky Linux, and Salient OS. In hardware news, Tuxedo Computers and System76 have announced new Linux-powered computers that have been released. And we've also got everyone's favorite legal news with patent trolls and IPOs. All that and so much more coming up on this week's episode of Twill, your weekly source for Linux good news. Before we get started this week, I want to do a quick reminder that on March 21st, we're doing the LugFest, Lug standing for Linux User Group. Essentially, it is going to be like a hangout with everybody in the DLN community because you're all welcome to join. There's You'll need a DLN Forum account, so go to dlnforum.com to get the account because we're going to have the link that will be posted there. We're going to do it towards the, the weekend of the event is when the link's going to be posted because we don't want to give too much time for the spammers to collect it and uh, annoy everyone. So that's why we're going to hold it off for the linking until then. Uh, but you will need a DLN forum account in order to see that link. So be sure to go to dlnforum.com to create the account. This LugFest is happening on Sunday, March 21st. Now, we don't have an exact time for the LugFest because it's going to happen right after the uh, DL episode recording, which will be happening at 1 p.m. Eastern or 1700 UTC. That's a we changed the thing. It used to be 1800, but daylight savings time is always annoying. So 1700 UTC. So be sure to put that on your schedule to join us for DL recording. Uh, and also right after that, the DLN Lugfest. Up first in the show this week, we're going to talk about some core news related to the Mesa drivers. There's the latest release of Mesa 21.0. So if you're not familiar, what is Mesa? Well, Mesa is an open source implementation of OpenGL, OpenGLES, Vulkan, OpenCL, and more. Essentially, it is the open source graphic stack for Linux. With Mesa 21.0, this release addresses some early support for ray tracing with Intel's XE graphics cards, which are totally coming out soon for sure. You also get driver improvements for the Raspberry Pi and Broadcom systems. There's even some improvements for WSL because there's benefits from this release having initial support with Direct3D 12. Also, there are some updates for some AMD stuff, which is fantastic. I'm, I'm a kind of an AMD, AMD fan, so I'll just put that up, out there up front. Uh, the rapid packed math for ACO has been uh, improved. There's also, there's so if you're not familiar, rapid packed math is an AMD terminology for allowing two FP16 operations within a single FP32 operation and what does that mean? Well, I mean that's a very complicated topic that we're going that doesn't really fit into this show, so I'm not going to go into that deep, but if you want to find out, you can just search for floating points 32-bit and 16-bit uh, co computer numbers. That actually is the term. It's a floating point computer number format. So, yes, happy searching. Uh, also, related to the ACO, this is the default shader compiler backend for AMD, which is a very important thing for uh, game performance and also rendering. And this latest release of Mesa 21 introduces improvements for uh, smart access memory and support for Zen 3 processors and RDNA 2 GPUs to have smart access memory. So smart access memory is relevant to resizable bar optimizations. So you might not be familiar with resizable bar, but essentially smart access memory is the name of what AMD calls their support for resizable bar. And that is a PCI Express uh, PCI Express standard interface for being able to control the VRAM through the CPU GPU in, uh, connection. So to basically why it matters is that prior to this uh, rollout of resizable bar, that's a weird, like the, that amount that there's so many weird syllables in that phrase. So every time I say resizable bar, I have to put in extra effort for the resizable bar part to actually come out of my mouth properly. Just random. Anyway, so resizable bar, a CPU could access only a small portion of the graphics memory or VRAM prior to the implementation of this. And this is limited traditionally to 256 megabytes 
uh, or the basically the maximum capacity that is allowed for 32-bit operating systems. And each time a CPU needs to communicate with the GPU, the commands are stored on this 256 megabyte portion of the VRAM. This implementation leads to a bottleneck, as commands must be uh, queued in a sequence, and the instructions cannot be sent in a parallel uh, system. So the resizable bar or the smart access memory, that's much better. Thanks, AMD, for making it easier to say. Uh, resizable bar addresses this bottleneck in CPU-GPU communication by allowing the processor to generate wait, no, to negotiate the size of the bar on the GPU. Essentially, this gives the CPU full access of the VRAM. So by opening up access to the GPU's memory, the processor can send multiple instructions to the GPU in parallel, which will massively speed things up. And it's also interesting that uh, AMD was the first ones to introduce the resizable bar fun functionality. Even though it's been in the PCI Express spec for many, many years, uh, HP, it's reported that HP and uh, AMD helped put the spec into the PCI Express uh, standard, uh, but it also took many, many years. I think it was like 2008 when they introduced it. So all of a sudden, you know, everybody's talking about resizable bar and, you know, as soon as AMD introduced it and then, you know, Intel and NVIDIA were talking about like they, there were reports back in the day saying that it was not worth doing. And then now all of a sudden the AMD did it. Now it's worth doing apparently. So anyway, that's awesome. It's great that we have, uh, you know, seeing more support for this type of, of functionality because it does increase the performance of your hardware exponentially. So I'm really happy to see that they're doing that. And uh, if you'd like to learn more about the latest release of Mesa 21.0, as of, co of course, you'll find the links in the show notes. Last week, we talked about OpenSUSE 15.3 beta being released. And this week, there was some pretty big news related to the SUSE company itself regarding a IPO or initial public offering in Europe. So we talked about a rumor that was going to be that was going around last year on episode 126 of Twill, where we talked about the rumor of SUSE doing an IPO, and it looks like those rumors were true. So EQT is planning an IPO for the German Linux and enterprise software company SUSE. If you're not familiar, EQT is a Swedish-based private equity firm, and they purchased... Uh, Essentially, it went. They announced the purchasing of it in 2018, and they and they purchased it. Basically, the amount of time it takes to do these kinds of things, I think it was 2019 by the time they actually got it. But SUSE is the leading European Linux distributor. If you're not familiar, I'd be surprised if you're not, but maybe. Uh, there have been some interesting reactions to this news for SUSE. There have been people saying that they're worried that this will ruin SUSE because of what an IPO means. So for those who are not aware, when an IPO happens, it makes the company public. And a public company is essentially required to make money for their shareholders on a consistent basis, like legally required to do so and put in that is the main motivation in a lot of cases, and depending on the type of corporation. The belief here is that the motivations changing might create some sort of problem for SUSE's goals going forward. And I'm going to share a slightly different perspective. I admit I'm not a finance guru by any stretch of the imagination, but this is, I think this isn't that bad of a thing for SUSE. Uh, Red Hat, for example, has been publicly traded company since 1999, and it's been doing pretty well financially and also in the amount of great work that has contributed to the Linux ecosystem. And plus, SUSE has been acquired multiple times over the years. And in some of those cases, the acquisitions were a bit worrisome to people. But yet, SUSE seemed to survive just fine, and now with EQT, they are arguably thriving with a lot of momentum. So this happening doesn't seem to be that negative of a problem. Actually, economy might be a good potential for SUSE to grow even more. So let's talk about like the, the history of SUSE is really interesting because it's gone through multiple acquisitions. Like, for example, they were acquired by Novell in 2004, and in 2010, Attachmate uh, purchased uh, Novell and therefore SUSE. And then Microfocus purchased Attachmate in 2014, and then uh, EQT purchased SUSE from Microfocus in 2018. Well, they announced it in 2018, but uh, this is interesting because... I mean, if you want to find out more about the actual acquisition, you can check out episode 31 of Twill. We talked about it in that episode. Man, I've been doing it. That's I've been doing the show a long time. 31. All right. So, uh, 2018, EQT announced they would purchase SUSE for from Microsoft for 2.5 billion. 
which at the time everybody was thinking that's an insane amount of money uh, based on the annual revenue, but it's also based on the assets they hold and stuff like that. So that so if you fast forward to today, SUSE has been very successful under EQT. So they've reported that revenue increased 14% year over year. In 2017, for example, it was reported that SUSE had an annual revenue of over 300 million. And since EQT took over, they are now at an annual revenue of over 450 million. And in July 2020, SUSE acquired Rancher Labs. Uh, we talked about this in a previous episode as well, but Rancher Labs was essentially the number two player behind Red Hat in the Kubernetes service market. And with the purchase of Rancher Labs, SUSE gained a ton of ground in that space very quickly. So they are doing a lot of interesting things and may, having a lot of momentum uh, pushing forward. So I think this is a really a really interesting uh, thing for them to do. And they also said that there's um, some reports saying that the SUSE IPO is expected to happen sometime in May. And I, I think this is interesting, but to see what happens, of course, but I'm not going to join the bandwagon of fear because I think SUSE has been nailing it in the recent years, especially since, you know, they uh, EQT got involved uh, because they've been, they've been nailing it on many levels, uh, especially with the switch between like the how Tumbleweed and Leap interacts with Slee and that sort of stuff. And they even now recently, they did it again. They made it some more changes in that aspect. And it's a really interesting structure. So uh, I think this is going to be Definitely something to work to worth uh, looking into going forward, and I will keep you up to date with what goes on with the with SUSE when they do actually do an IPO and that sort of stuff. Because I think it is very very interesting, and I do think there's a lot of potential for SUSE in doing this. Um, and if you'd like to learn more about this, tune into Destination Linux 217 on March 14th at 1 p.m. Eastern or 1700 UTC, uh, because I, th I have a feeling this might come up as a topic, and also you know. Links in the show notes. Up next in the show, 7-Zip has announced that they have a early preliminary support for Linux. This is the, uh, it's, an, it's a format for compression. They have, and they also support a lot of different formats and stuff like that. But it's interesting because the Upstream project announced that 7-Zip has uh, early support in like an alpha release. Uh, it's also only command line right now, but it, in the future, it may be introduced into, into bigger scale. Uh, but what's interesting is that this improves this the 7z format or the 7zip format for a lot of other cases like faster compression, more optimized file sizes and that sort of stuff. But there are a lot of people going like why is this news? Because it may seem odd to have news like this because 7zip has been a it's compatible for Linux for a very long time. We've been able to use 7z files for years. But that's also because it was ported by uh, another group called creating P7-Zip, not the actual upstream official version of 7-Zip, and the P standing for POSIX. So it sounds like it might have been duplication as well, but it isn't, because the 7-Zip um, support for the upstream is basically because of the fact that the P7-Zip hasn't had development for about four to five years. So... The 7-Zip team is introducing the support due to, uh, part, in, part of which is in due to P7-Zip not having maintenance and development for a while. So this is actually really interesting and really big deal having support because 7-Zip is, it's been around for a long time. It's been, it's, I've been using it for so long that I don't remember how long, it's, it's been decade at least. Because 7-Zip is very important archive format, not only just because it has a lot of really good, valuable features and the fact that it has split archives and password protection and all kinds of stuff, but it also has the ability to pack and unpack other formats, not just its own format. So it can be it can be used for XZ, BZIP2, GZIP, TAR, ZIP, WIM, uh, for packing and unpacking all of those formats. And it also has support for unpacking over 30 other types of archives, including the very popular RAR format. So it is a significant news for 7-Zip to have support. Uh, the lead developer, Igor Pavlov, noted in the announcement thread that he he doesn't actually use Linux and that the uh, at the moment that P7-Zip offers easier build scripts. However, he in the conversation on the thread, there was a lot of 
really awesome people from the community that have uh, decided to chip in and volunteer effort to help improve 7-Zip on Linux and also, uh, you know, basically make the full implementation of 7-Zip to, you know, and maybe surpass what PZIP was before. So I am super excited about this because it is a very critical piece of a lot of workflows, my workflow. I use it uh, quite often. Uh, so I'm really happy to see that 7-Zip upstream is now going to be supporting Linux, and I can't wait to see how it's all implemented and rolled out in the bigger scale. Now, you probably won't see anything different for a while, uh, if at all, but it is worth knowing that this is happening because uh, from the user side, the you shouldn't see anything because if when it transitions to everything, it should be smooth in the back end, but... Uh, I feel it's, it's awesome, and I wanted to make, make note of it. If you'd like to learn more about 7-Zip and the news related to the support for Linux, on the, the uh, rem reminder, it's an alpha release. So there you go. Uh, but I'll have links to all of it in the show notes below. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean and their app platform. DigitalOcean's app platform service is a solution to build modern cloud-native apps. You can use a simple, intuitive, and visually rich experience to, to rapidly build, deploy, and manage, as well as scale apps on their app platform. The app platform supports multiple programming languages like Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, and it also has support for static sites, Docker, and container images. With the app platform, you get high scalability and zero infrastructure management. What does that mean? Well, you simply point your GitHub or GitLab repository to the app platform and let it do all the heavy lifting for you. It handles the infrastructure like app runtimes and dependencies, so you can push code to production in just a few clicks. You can secure your apps automatically as well. They create, manage, and renew your SSL certificates for you and also protect your apps from DDoS attacks. So with the app platform, you can run code with little to no customization because the app platform uses open cloud native standards and automatically analyzes your code, creates containers, and runs them on Kubernetes clusters. And as a listener of the This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free, actually better than free, because with DigitalOcean, they're giving you a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash DLN. Again, go to do.co slash DLN to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Up next in the show, we have some great news in the hardware space. We're gonna got, we got two things to cover, actually. But first of all, we're going to talk about Tuxedo Computers because Tuxedo has launched two new Linux gaming laptops powered by the latest NVIDIA GeForce RTX 3000 graphics card series. And this is the Tuxedo Book XP15 and the Tuxedo Book XP17. These come with, as I said, uh, NVIDIA G, uh, GeForce RTX 3060, 3070, and 3080 options in the GPUs. It also has the 10th generation Intel i7-10870H, rolls right off the tongue, which is a high-end processor with 8 cores and uh, 16 threads with up to 5 gigahertz clock speed. It also has a matte black aluminum, all aluminum chassis, which is always nice to see. A 73 watt hour battery with something they call Flexi Charger, which is a flexible battery charging function that can be activated in the BIOS for longer use. It has support for up to 64 gigs of RAM and up to 4 terabytes of MVME M.2 SSD storage. It has a lot of different ports and it's features and quality, like some stuff like uh, it has a gigabit LAN, which is awesome. It has uh, a USB 3.2 Gen 2 Thunderbolt 3 port with up to 40 gigabit uh, fast data exchange and support for connecting up to three external monitors via HDMI and mini DisplayPort interface options. It also has uh, support for Wi-Fi 6. And the, the thing that I want to talk about, I think this is all really cool. This is a really solid uh, piece of hardware, but... I was really happy to see the options in the uh, displays. So you have multiple different options for both the X, the XP15 and the XP17. So if you're not familiar with Hardware Addicts, it's a show that I co-host with uh, Ryan and Wendy on the Destination Linux Network. And one of the things that Ryan has talked about in the past is that uh, laptops not coming with higher quality screens is uh, kind of a, a common thing. But this particular option, this this these laptops come with multiple options for the screen, including really cool features. So, for example, the XP15 has a 15.6-inch full HD 1080p IPS screen that has options for G-Sync, and it has the option of 144 hertz or 300 hertz. But in addition to that, they also have a 
H, a 4K version of the screen that is an, a 4K uh, OLED option, which is fantastic. So you can have, if you want to have the higher refresh rates with a 1080p screen, you can. Or if you want a 4K screen, you can get that as well, which is really cool to see. Uh, so it's like they just listened to, to Ryan and Hardware Addicts and made a laptop that fits what he wanted. So that's pretty cool. Uh, also, the XP17 has a 17.3-inch screen, and it has the same similar thing of the uh, 1080p Full HD IPS display with a 144 hertz and a 300 hertz option. But they also included on this one a 60 hertz IPS at 4K resolution, so you can get Either if you want to have the high refresh rates on this XP15 or the XP17, you can get that, or you can get 4K options as well. So that's very very cool. So if you're in the if the in the market for an NVIDIA powered laptop, then these beasts might be worth checking out. I'll have links to it in the show notes below for these Tuxedo computers, the Tux the Tuxedo Book XP15 and XP17. Links in the show notes. Up next in the show is some more hardware news, and this time it's from System76 because they released their newest desktop computer called the Thaleo Mira. I think that's how you're supposed to say it. Uh, so the Mira is the size between the Thaleo and the Thaleo Major. The Thaleo Mira is powered by AMD's Ryzen's 5000 series processors, and it can it uses the NVIDIA uh, Quadro GPUs, and it supports up to two at a time, which is crazy. Uh, and it has RAM that supports up to 128 gigabytes if you need that. And it also has support for up to a four terabyte PCIe 4.0 NVMe storage, uh, but also it has two of those supports. So you actually have up to eight terabytes of uh, PCIe NVMe storage. But if you include the other storage options, you can have up to 36 terabytes of storage because why not? And I totally understand if you want that because I do because that sounds awesome. Also, uh, they have a really interesting cooling system that was customly built for the uh, Thaleo machines. Uh, they say that after countless iterations of testing fan placement, CPU duct size, exhaust port design, and other factors, we landed on the most optimal arrangement of effect and cooling at low decibels. So this is actually really cool. There's a really interesting diagram that display, explains how they, their cooling system works. So check that out. I have like that linked in the show notes. And also a really cool thing about uh, the Thaleo uh, de design of the desktop is that it is uh, open hardware. So you can check out how it works. And it's very, very much good for repairability because they say that their, their desktops are designed to provide easy access to motherboards for upgrades and repairs. So you can replace drives, replace memories, easily repl uh, upgrade graphics cards and all that sort of stuff. Very cool. The Thaleo uh, desktop is a really nice looking desktop. I really like the design. It's super powerful. Uh, now it does start at a reasonably expensive price depending on your, um, your perspective. And it also can go up to insane levels of beast beast power because you can have if you get to the thaleo major like the, the thaleo mira is really cool it's really powerful it's a very interesting uh, piece of hardware and i'm a big fan of the system 76 hardware they make a lot of great stuff the thaleo major is so ridiculous that it is a, it is awesome like it is just crazy you can have up to four gpus in that thing because reasons i mean why not if you can do it you could do it just do it what I'm saying. I would really love to play with a Thaleo. I uh, hope one day I will be able to get one. So uh, right now, I already have a whole system set up. So it'd be kind of not necessary for me to do, but I kind of want to do it anyway. I, see, Hardware Addicts is rubbing off on me. That's what's happening right now. Hardware Addicts is rubbing off on me. I do want this. Uh, so I'm gonna go ahead and move on to the next topic so that I don't uh, instantly go to the buy, you know add to cart button on the page. So yeah, if you'd like to learn more about this uh, Thaleo Mira. Uh, latest desktop release from System Physics. I'll have uh, links to it in the show notes below. Up next in the show is some really interesting news related to some banks that are joining the Open Invention Network, or OIN. There's also some of them joining other networks as well, but we'll get to that in a second. First of all, Barclays and TD Bank Group have joined the Leading Open Source Intellectual Property, or IP, defense group, the OIN, or the Open Invention Network. So the OIN is the largest patent non-aggression consortium, and it has protected Linux from uh, patent attacks and patent trolls for years. And recently, it expanded its scope from uh, core Linux programs and adjacent open source code by expanding its system uh, Linux system 
system definition. So in particular, that means that patents relating to uh, Android Open Source Project, or AOSP, and also the Extended File Allocation Table, or XFAT file system is also now protected through the OIN and the XFAT file system protection is because uh, we in, le- in episode 41 of This Week in Linux, we talked about Microsoft joining OIN and by joining the network, they brought in about 60,000 of their patents to the open source uh, OIN network, which means that's why the XFAT support came into it. Uh, so that's pretty interesting. But why are we talking about it this week? Well, that's because... Um, Global banks have decided to join the OIN. Now, why would they be doing that? Why would they be joining the OIN? Well, it seems that even banks care about opposing the abuse of IP rights by patent assertion entities, or PAE, which are better known to the world as patent trolls. So if you're not aware what a patent troll is, well, essentially they are useless companies that exist just to sue other companies over patents. Also, typically these patents are for basic functionality that shouldn't even be patentable, but since patent systems are pretty much broken, they do have them. And there you go. That's pretty much what a patent troll is. A company that shouldn't exist does exist and uses that existence to annoy everyone. There you go. So Barclays announced that they have also joined the LOT Network, which is another organization against patent trolls and LOT standing for License on Transfer. Uh, so Lee Brain from Barclays uh, says the, he's the managing director uh, and CTO said in a statement, By fostering a culture of innovation across the financial services ecosystem, we can help protect our future and better serve our clients. Spurious claims from PAEs to divert uh, resources and investment away from the true innovation and collaboration. We also recognize that a modern approach to technology development and innovation requires a level playing field around the use of open source software. With memberships of LOT and OIN, we are pleased to contribute to and extend the growing global community working together to prevent PAE threat and remove barriers to use open source technologies. Uh, also, a, a quote from the, the TD's, uh, P, the, uh, basically for TD is like the first major North American bank to join the OIN and the IP and patentable innovations lead at TD uh, named Josh Death. Wait, what? Josh Death. Okay. Interesting name. Is that real? That's got to be a typo. Hold on a second. Okay, so not that's not a typo. Name is Josh Death. Maybe it's pronounced Deeth or something. I don't know. But very interesting name, to say the least. So Josh Death says that PAE acti- activi- activity continues to trend upward in the banking industry. PAEs have become a tax on business, and we're, we're ex- willing to explore a reasonable means to address such risks. We fully support efforts to limit the very means by which PAEs fuel their claims and extract a tax from operating companies. Uh, OIN has done an amazing job of creating an effective PAE freedom to operate zone around the Linux environment, and we're delighted to support OIN and its initiative. So this is really interesting. Uh, banks have become aware of patent risks because basically following a successful patent lawsuit by the USAA, which is a financial services company that mainly focuses on U.S. military, uh, it, it, they had a successful patent lawsuit against one of the world's largest banks, Wells Fargo resulting in an award of over $300 million. And what this is about is that this lawsuit was basically taking a picture of a check, sending it to your bank, and having it deposited, which is now very common with a lot of banks. So this is, um, as you can imagine, this is rather worrisome for those involved. And also, why does this matter? Well, this is important because it shows just how vital open source software and Linux are to the world. And a Barclays spokesperson told uh, to, to, in a report that says that uh, Barclays has been subject to overt and veiled threats of litigation from patent trolls. Many of these patent trolls wield vast numbers of poor quality patents that they have acquired with the express purpose of monetizing. They also go on to say that the validity and applicability of any of the individual patents within these portfolios ceases to matter in a typical interaction with a patent troll because the patent owners can just continue to assert more and more patents in litigation, thus making the cost of fair legal resolution ridiculously high. So this is really interesting because uh, patent trolls are awful. Everybody knows patent trolls are awful. If you know what they are, you know that they're, they're terrible. And this kind of news shows just how awful they are. 
Because think about it. Patent trolls are so terrible that they make global mega banks look like the good guys. Think about that for a second. That's crazy. Anyway, if you'd like to learn more about this, then check out the links in the show notes. And also, what do you think about this uh, show covering more legal news? Do you like this kind of news? Uh, you know, you like this sort of thing? Let me know in the comments below or on the DLN forum. I'm very curious what you think about that. Uh, so this is good news that, you know, there's more uh, patent sharing through the OIN and the lot network and that sort of stuff. And it's very shocking to see that the banks are doing it. And also, there's been some reports that more banks are in the works for doing it as well. Uh, so in the next couple of months or so, there's support reports that up to like maybe six more big corporate banks are going to be doing that. So very interesting. And it's just it just kind of makes me laugh about the fact that the patent trolls are so bad that it makes them makes these global banks look like the, the good guys in this case. So there you go. Anyway, if you'd like to learn more, links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. Bitwarden is a password manager, and it allows you to have access of, to your passwords on any device that you want to, and you also get peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do this? Well, it secures your online accounts by having a encrypted locally on your on your devices, but that using end-to-end -end encryption. That so that before it ever leaves your devices, you know that you're the only person that has access to your data because it encrypts it on those devices before it sends it to it, and you can have it accessed on multiple different devices. So your web browser, your mobile apps, a desktop application, or even on the command line, you get all of that, and you get to be able to manage your passwords in an easy, convenient way while also still having security. Because you may not know this, but May, having the, be the best security practice is to have a different password for every account on every website that you sign up to. And sure, that makes a lot of sense as a policy, but a lot of people don't want to do that because it's, a, it's kind of a painful thing to do. But with a password manager like Bitwarden, all of that pain is just completely removed. And I have been loving using Bitwarden for so many years. I'm a huge fan of it. So Bitwarden solves this providing tools that are like you're storing your passwords in a secured vault auto-generating those passwords for you, and even automatically filling in those passwords on login forms so you don't have to all the time. Love it. I use it every day because Bitwarden is just a critical piece of my workflow. And Bitwarden is the password manager that I use and trust because not, in, not only in addition to all of these great features, it also is 100% open source software. That's right, 100% open source, which means that the features and security of their infrastructure can be vetted and improved by the community. And they don't just stop there. I mean, they could just stop there, but they don't. They also bring in third-party security firms to audit their code to make sure it is safe as possible. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started with your free account. But I think you want to check out their premium account because there's a lot of cool features that you get with it. You also get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator, Priority Customer Service. You get Emergency Access feature, which is a brand new feature that is awesome. So like, like I said earlier, you get to keep access. You know that you're the only one who has access, but maybe you want to have like uh, be able to give access to someone in an emergency situation, and that's what this new feature offers, which is fantastic. You get all of this for just $10 per year. That's right. Less than a dollar per month gets you all of these great features, and it allows you to support such a great company that is Bitwarden. So sign up for their $10 per year premium account and let them know that you appreciate them supporting open source and supporting This Week in Linux podcast. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started with that account. And again, thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring This Week in Linux. Up next in the show, we're going to talk about Maui Kit. Maui Kit is a part of the KDE community and is a project aimed at creating applications with convergence and arguably more importantly, making a toolkit that makes it easier for others to also make convergent applications. Maui Kit and Maui Apps 1.2.1 was released this week. Uh, Maui Kit and Maui Apps are made by the Nitrix team. So we've talked about Maui Kit before when we covered the name collision issue that they were dealing with with Microsoft, uh, choosing a similar name for their interfa user interface toolkit as well as being calling it Maui. Uh, you'd like to know more about that one, you can check out that topic in episode 105 of Twill. So I'll have that linked in the show notes. Uh, but this is really interesting because there's a lot of new stuff related on this uh, this release, especially for like the Maui kit in, in, uh, increases some features, adds some new stuff that you can do with it. Uh, but it also has new updates to their applications that are built with Maui kit, such as I don't know if you're supposed to say wave or V wave because it's it looks like it's presented as a W. 
but it also is spelled with two V's. So I'm going to call it Vivave. That's a music player that is built with Maui Kit. It's a really interesting player. Uh, it actually used to be called Babe, I think. Uh, so that's really cool because uh, it was the there was a time period when the, the, the new music players were being created and they changed it from Babe to Vivave. Uh, so I didn't actually know it was being built with Maui Kit until recently. So that's really cool. Uh, also, they have a file manager called Index, a text editor called Nota, and also the, there's an NX software center that is created with the Maui Kit that is a front end application that uses the App Image Hub API to provide app image packages. So that's really interesting. So uh, in addition to flat packs and snaps having a store, you can now have a store with um, app images. Now, admittedly, I would like to have a store that has all of them, but you know, that's maybe someday. But this is cool also because in addition to having app images, it also on the desktop, it also works on Linux phones. So you can get you can use this to install ARM based app images, which is pretty cool. So if you're familiar with this kind of thing, you may have already heard of Kiragami. So Kiragami is another uh, con uh, development framework for uh, convergent applications. So you might be wondering, what's the difference between Kiragami and Maui Kit? Well, and the the developer of Maui Kit said on Reddit in a response to a similar question related to this that uh, and I quote Maui Kit is a subset of controls dedicated to following the Maui HIG, which is some aspects differs from the Kiragami HIG. Maui Kit uses QCC2 and it is fully compatible to be mixed with Kiragami controls. Maui Kit also provides a custom style named Maui Style only used on other platforms than Linux and for app images. So basically, things, uh, think uh, Kiragami, uh, the things that Kiragami won't do or doesn't have provi services provided for, uh, they also make things on top of it. So essentially, it's like it uses uh, Kiragami to do certain parts and then goes beyond that for their own uh, Maui style and their own uh, th uh, use human uh, interface uh, guidelines that they want to use. So... Basically, it's like Kiragami Plus, I guess you could call it that. Uh, but it's really interesting. Uh, I, there's a lot of cool applications that they have that I want to check out. Like the Nota text editor looks kind of interesting. Uh, and I also really love the concept of convergent applications because also it's referred to as responsive design in some cases. This is a very important thing because not in addition to having support on phones, like in the future with like these Linux phones, like the Pine phone and that sort of stuff, that's all great. Uh, but also being able to resize an application to your preference and putting it in wherever you want it to be on your monitor and then being able to have the, the interface automatically resize itself to fit the size that you choose. That is a very important thing that almost no applications do, uh, but applications built with Maui Kit can do that and with Kiragami can do that. So I am really happy to see responsive design being used much more frequently these days because there's so many times where I'm trying to resize an application and it just squeezes everything together where you can't see anything. And I'm not going to name any names, but it, it happens uh, way too often. So I'm really happy to see there's a lot of effort in that convergent application concept. Uh, so yeah, if you want to learn more about this and the latest release of Maui Kit and the Maui apps, I have links in the show notes below. Up next in the show, we're going to do some distro news. We have a lot of distros to talk about. First up, we're going to talk about Makulu Linux Lindos 2021 release. So uh, this announcement for Lindos edition, if you're not familiar, this is a desktop Linux distribution with a Cinnamon desktop customized to resemble the desktop interface of Microsoft's Windows. Uh, this release is based on Ubuntu 20.04, and the Lindos edition is designed to heavily modify uh, Cinnamon 4.8.2 framework. They say that it is designed to make the user transition from Windows to Linux easier and more comfortable while still reta retaining its Linux roots. So one of the a few of the standout features I want to talk about for Lindos 2021 is uh, they have a new introduction video that guides users around the desktop, including an introduction manager for the first boot setup, which is really nice. I think that most uh, distributions should have something like that, have a welcome tour or a welcome video or something like that that guides you around the interface. I think that's a, a necessity that should exist on every interface, of every DE, of every distro, because 
if you're wanting people to switch over to a new concept, you need to be able to introduce them to it. So, you know, good decision there. Uh, also, uh, they have more st uh, streamlined themes available for Windows, and this now offers up to uh, 12 theme variants. And they also have a thing called the Makulu Portal, which is a tool that guides users for getting assistance, including connecting to Makulu staff for help, which is really cool. Again, most distros should do something like that. So uh, Makulu Lindos is an interesting distribution because it tries to be a transition option for people going from Windows to Linux, which is a vital element for Linux growth, uh, naturally. Uh, transitioning from Windows needs to be as seamless as possible, so it's always great to see when projects work on something like that to optimize the process. And I will say that Lindos as a name is kind of interesting too, since there was a Lindos that was spelled much differently back in the day that was sued for using the name too close to Windows. This is spelled significantly differently than Windows, so maybe that's not an issue. I just thought it was kind of interesting because of the history of something similarly named. You know, that's there's that. Uh, I think it is great when people make stuff to ease the transition from Windows to Linux. So best of luck to Makula Linux team on their efforts, and thank you for doing that sort of stuff. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about uh, the Makula Linux, uh, all their other editions, they have more than just uh, Lindos. But if you want to lear learn more about those or just give Lindos Edition a shot, you'll find links to all of that in the show notes below. Up next in the show, some more distro news, this time from Sparky Linux. So Sparky Linux 2021.03 has been announced. And this is a Debian testing-based distribution. So this is uh, Debian testing, for those who don't are aware. This is the development branch of uh, Debian. And this is relating to the upcoming Debian 11 Bullseye release, which should be somewhat soon. Uh, Sparky Linux 2021.03 releases with the Linux kernel 5.10 LTS edition. It has the uh, Calamari's installer. Uh, it also, this this particular release has, was very interesting to me because they added a new addition to the Sparky Linux lineup, and that is a KDE Plasma edition. It is also coming with a very up-to-date version of, of KDE Plasma in comparison to what t Debian typically has. So this is KDE Plasma 5.20.5, and that it has KDE Frameworks 5.78 and KDE Applications 20.12.2, which are all fairly uh, recent. And there, that's notable because Debian is not typically known for keeping up with KDE Plasma, so I was really happy to see that because it means that Debian has also updated it in the Debian testing branch, which is great to see. So also, Sparky Linux has many other additions. They have XFCE, LXQt, Mate, OpenBox, and also one they call the Minimal CLI edition, which is a text mode type of, of edition. Uh, the XFCE edition has been upgraded to XFCE 4.16, which has a ton of improvements to the uh, XFCE desktop environment. If you'd like to learn more about that, you can check out episode 131 of Twill for more details of the XFCE 4.16 release. And also, LXQt edition has been upgraded to LXQt 0.16, and you can check out episode 121 for more details about that release. Uh, but it, what, something that's also notable that I want to talk about is that Webcamoid has become the default web client, webcam client for uh, that release of Sparky Linux. And the reason I wanted to talk about that is because you're like, why would you reference a webcam client, right? But that's because uh, our own uh, DLN Extends uh, Cubicle Nate wrote an article for frontpagelinux.com about Webcamoid, and it opened my eyes of what a webcam application could do. So if you haven't seen that and you're looking for a very powerful webcam app, check that out. I'll have that linked in the show notes. And also, uh, Sparky Linux has some special editions for the distro uh, for specific use cases. For example, they have an edition for multimedia and a rescue tools. And they also have an edition for gamers called Game Over. Though, quick note about that, uh, Game Over is an interesting name since that term typically is used when you lose at games. So, just putting that out there. Also, so Sparky Linux is a very interesting distribution. It's one of the first distros to create an edition for LXQt. But uh, I, I'm sure none of you are surprised that I'm very happy to see the KDE Plasma edition being added. And while I am glad to see that Sparky Linux is doing that, it is also more than that because of the whole uh, Debian part. Uh, I'm happy to see Debian updating KDE Plasma because it has been many years since they update. Last time I checked was 5.14. So they went from 5.14 to 5.20, which is great. I'm curious to see what happens after Bullseye releases, if they continue to update Plasma in the Debian testing branch, though. 
you know, history is if it's any indication, they probably won't. But if they do, that'd be great because KDE Plasma updates very often. And they typically make a ton of changes between every update. So I kind of get why Debian doesn't do it, doesn't keep up to date with those releases, but I also wanted them to. So, I mean, that's really the reason I don't, one of the reasons I don't use Debian is because I want to use KDE Plasma and waiting three years between Plasma releases is not uh, going to work for me. So there you go. Anyway, I'm pleased to see Sparky Linux moving forward with their distributions and anyone looking for a Debian-based distro that is closer to Debian than Ubuntu, but still adds an extra layer on top, you might want to check out Sparky Linux. I'll have links to it in the show notes below. Up next in the show is another piece of distro news, and that is Salient OS. 2021.3 has been released. So if you're not familiar, Salient OS is an Arch-based rolling release distribution aimed at creative... Uh, multimedia users and gaming enthusiasts. It's created by dealing community community member Silent Robot. Uh, Salient OS comes in two separate editions, uh, featuring the XFCE desktop and also the KDE Plasma desktop. It comes pre-configured with various applications out of the box, and it comes with uh, command line aliases that make certain things easier to do, like having tools like Reflector, which can find the best mirror uh, servers closest to you automatically. Honestly. Every Arch distribution should just come with Reflector because Reflector is great. Uh, having to manually test to see if the mirrors are good or not is no. You can just use Reflector and find it in seconds. Fantastic. So all of them should have that. And Salient does have it. Uh, there are a few packages which are compiled from source which to, to basically make some features work that are included in Salient OS. But that means it's going to be using the AUR for some stuff. So it's kind of... I kind of wanted to like give a look like Salient OS is very cool distro. It has a lot of great ideas and it might be worth checking out for some of you. However, I do feel like I need to give a quick warning that it is based on Arch. So in my opinion, Arch-based distributions are not really good options for rec to recommend to beginners. So if you are brand new to Linux, then I would recommend trying something else. Uh, but if you want to try this particular distribution, feel free to do that. But don't do it as your daily driver maybe do it in like a multi-boot system, like you have two different Linux distros and then you can have one Salient OS with the Arch base and it's not an issue in that case. Uh, it's not nothing against Salient OS itself. It's mostly because uh, Arch is very complicated for beginners and I'm just not comfortable suggesting that for beginners. Now, if you're not a beginner for Linux, then absolutely check it out. Salient is very cool. Uh, it's, it's a very cool Arch-based distribution that has optimizations for gamers. So it has uh, stuff like... Uh, eSync, DXVK, uh, stuff built for Lutris and Steam uh, Proton support. They also say that the system and security limits have been configured to give the best performance out of the box. It includes, like I said, DXVK. It also has Wine Tricks and a Vulkan ICD to assist in uh, Lutris for installing non-native games and that sort of stuff. It has a lot of cool uh, gaming-based uh, stuff built in by out of the box, which is a really, uh, really cool idea. Uh, th but it, again, it is arch based. So there you go. If you're not a beginner, definitely check out sailing OS. It's really, really good. Uh, and if you'd like to more learn more about sailing OS, then check out the links in the show notes. Cause it'll be quite a few of those. So check those out. Up next in the show and the last topic for today, we're going to talk about a uh, maintenance release for Flatpaks. So Flatpaks 1.10.2 has been released. Now, this is not a very big update. It's actually pretty small, but it is to address a security vulnerability that was found that could lead to potential attacks. Now, it actually is worth noting that it depends on where you get your flat packs. If you're just getting it from random websites, this could create an issue. But if you're getting it from a trusted source, then it's less of a problem because it's basically, it's not a problem necessarily unless you have a flat pack that is using a, uh, taking advantage of this vulnerability. So if you get your flat pack from a place that's your trust, then it's not that big of an issue. And of course you should also get so all software you, you use regardless of what it is and what format it is from places that you trust because, you know, that could end badly if you didn't. So uh, 1.10.2 uh, addresses a bug that is has a CVE number of CVE 2021 with dash 21381. And this is a uh, bug to address the possibility of constructing a malicious dot desktop file that runs a particular command that allows you to send arbitrary arguments 
to the flat pack, making it possible to bypass the sandboxing for uh, user readable files. Now, it's not going to be able to do any kind of like pseudo privilege escalation or anything like that, but it does make it possible to leave the sandbox and read uh, any file that the user has the ability to read. So there is that kind of an issue. So it's not a catastrophically problematic thing, but it is also something worth noting because some distributions have already released the fix with 1.10.2 and others are currently working on it. So just uh, make sure if you see an update for your flat pack, flat pack to be updated that you do install that as soon as possible because it does something that need to be updated so that there's less of an issue going forward in terms of where you get those so that they can't bypass the sandbox. Um, it also, I wanted to note it, it's very impressive that the uh, flat pack team uh, were able to address this in the way that they were because it's been less than two weeks since this has been found and reported and it's already been fixed and pushed out to uh, to distributions and stuff. And the reason why that's impressive is in addition to it being a very quick turnaround time, the developer who did so also had COVID at the time. Uh, first of all, get well soon. I hope you I hope you get well soon. And also, uh, you know, well done for uh, pushing out the fix as fast as you did in the circumstances that you're dealing with. So there you go. If you'd like to learn more about this particular uh, news, I'll have a link to the uh, release tag for this, uh, as well as a thread about it in the show notes below. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on the show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the show and the channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, sponsors, and many others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. And if you'd like to become a patron, you can join me during the live stream in the recording stadium. It's called the stadium for arbitrary reasons. So there you go. You can join that to discuss stuff between the topics, hang out uh, after the, uh, the show every week because we have a, a post-show uh, patron-only hangout. And also, you can uh, be participating in the random tangents that happen pretty much every week. So you can do that. Uh, just in general, really, but you can also participate in it if you become a patron. So uh, you can also support the channel and the show by getting the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt at the DLN store by going to dlnstore.com. There's also a bunch of other stuff and also some new stuff, so check that out if you haven't seen it in a while, dlnstore.com. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux and Hardware Addicts, as I'm a co-host of both of those shows on the Destination Linux network. And just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, or 1700 UTC starting from next week because of the daylight saving switch. So you can join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux canoes each week by going to DLNlive.com. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tanell with DLN. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux. And I'll see you next week for your weekly source of Linux GNUs.